The following sermon is from Evangel Temple Youth Ministries. For more information about how you can get involved, please visit etchurch.org forward slash youth. This sermon series, I kind of like felt like I, I could coin it maybe a, a curveball sermon uh, series. If you know what, who, who all knows what a curveball is? If you say like, man, you really threw, threw me for a curveball on that one, um, where it's just like, man, you didn't expect what they just said or what just happened, right? Um, example, okay, threw me a curveball. I remember a few Christmases ago, I think Sarah remembers this too, a few Christmases ago, uh, Sarah and I, you know, we were about to give each other our gifts for Christmas, and I said, hey, so I got you something that you've wanted for so long, um, which, by the way, she wanted to, like, make crafts together, you know, like, do these little activities together. So I was like, it wasn't a lie. I was like, man, I got something that you have wanted for so long. And she's like, yeah? Like, that's awesome. Man. And um, I was like, I finally found a way to do it. I finally found a way to get this for you. And so now it's like, man, this thing's rare, and I've been wanting it for a long time. What is it? And um, because I'm horrible at coming up with crafts and arts and all that stuff, um, I said, yeah, like, Finally got it for you. You've been wanting it for so long. I'm able to finally get it for you. It's like, what is it? And I was like, go outside. And it's like snowing like crazy. I'm like, grab a twig. I've got a project for you. And um, curveball. Okay, that's what it was. She was not expecting me to um, have that. But anyway, I, what I ended up doing to finish the story for you, I, uh, we made a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. You guys know what that is? Like just a twig sticking out of the ground with like an ornament hanging on it. Um, boom, crafts. And so, uh, <laughs> but... That was the curveball. So I've, I just kind of felt like this sermon series has been kind of a curveball um, because we're talking about, if you remember, um, we've been talking about sin, okay? Um, but if you think about, if you've been in church long enough, it doesn't take long to realize um, whenever you're talking about sin, you're normally talking about how can you um, fight it off or, you know, the sin that's in your life, um, how do you deal with it, right? This kind of like individualistic, I'm going to fight my sin for myself uh, mentality. Uh, but this sermon series is kind of a curveball. We're talking about sin, but we're talking about your neighbor's sin. Look to the person next to you. We're talking about their sin. And so um, kind of curveball, you're like, oh, whoa, okay, we're talking about that. Um, but we are. We're, we're talking about how to look at the sins of other people and what our reaction should be. And so uh, week one, two weeks ago, we, we kind of looked at, well, um, considering that we are all sinful, right, and none of us are righteous, then um, whenever we do ever, if we ever do, critique anyone or call out someone's sin, um, we should do it with a humble heart, knowing that we're no better, right? And so anytime that you would approach somebody saying, hey, you're doing that wrong, and you start to point the finger, know that you also should be pointing a finger at yourself, that you are no better, okay? So um, we have no right to actually call anyone out. Um, we are actually just as bad, okay? And so that's, that's, that was the first week um, that we were talking about. But the second week, we're like, okay, so who should we call out um, if we were to call out anyone? And so we looked at... Um, should we call it non-Christians in their sinful lifestyle? And um, after, our, you know, I, talk, I talked about a bunch of different scriptures. What I came to be my concluding premise, if you will, my, my, my final thought um, was that really instead of focusing on the specific sin that they're living in, the specific sinful lifestyle that they have, rather focus on every, every chance you get, just Christ, pointing them to Christ, talking about Christ, talk about the cross, and eventually um, the hope of that would be that they would fall in love with the God that you serve, and at that point, then you can say, okay, so now let's start talking about how does that, what are the implications on your life, um, how, on your lifestyle, how you live? Um, so you fall in love with the, the God that I've been talking about for so long, Jesus Christ himself. You want to live for him. You've fallen in love with him, and so now um, 
you got to get rid of the sin in your life. Uh, but really, I said, don't focus on the specific sin because if it's not um, this thing that they do, it's another thing, okay? And so you're going to just take a rabbit trail on something. Rather, just talk about how great God is that they might fall in love with him. And so that was last week, okay? Um, and now, week three, we're talking about, okay, well, what about Christians, my friends that are Christians, my family, um, if they're Christian, um, other Christians, if I call myself a Christian and they're a Christian, should I or do I have the um, right to or the obligation to call them out or critique them in their sin? Okay, and so that's what we're talking about tonight. And, um, and we actually looked a little bit at Scripture um, last week. 1 Corinthians 5, and we said, yeah, actually, we, we are called to call each other out. Okay? Um, it says, when I wrote to you before, this is Paul talking, and he said, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about the unbelievers um, who deal with that. You would have to leave this whole world to avoid people like that. I meant that you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin. And so I won't be able to um, dive into specifically what um, does this text say, because we're going to be looking at a whole lot of texts, um, but... Base level, right? This does show us that we have this standard of living for other Christians, right? We have this expectation for other Christians to live a certain way, to live up to a standard of, man, you're really falling short here. It's almost like whenever you walk into the family of being a part, uh, uh, the family of Christ, right? You're, you're, you're a Christian just with other Christians, and you're part of this family of faith, right? You're a part of the community um, of believers. You're part of it. It's like you now have an obligation to call them out. As soon as you're a part of the family, you have an obligation to the family to call people out. Um, if you look at Galatians chapter 2, Paul's writing again, and he says that when James and Peter, he actually says Cephas, um, but it's, it's Peter, uh, when James and Peter and John, who seem to be the pillars, so these guys were like, he's like, man, these three these guys were the founding people of the church. These people were um, like... They were the big time people of the church at this time, okay? When James and Peter and John, who seemed to be the pillars, perceived, that, um, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and I. So they made them part of the community, right? It says that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. Get this next verse, verse 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So he said, Peter, who's one of the pillars, the main guys in the church, the head guy, head honcho, um, said, you know what? Yeah, um, you're a part of the family of believers. He had an obligation at that point, And he said, okay, let me call out the head guy. You're in sin, sir. And so um, you just see there's this, you're a part of the family of believers. You're, you're a Christian amongst other Christians. Now you have an obligation um, to them to be their accountability, Okay, and so we're seeing that. Um, and so when we do that, though, I just want to stop and, and see, well, when we do that, I think we have to do it in love. Not only is it biblical, but I think it's most loving for them that you would call somebody out in sin. Okay, so just track with me with this, okay? Um, if somebody is in sin, I think the most loving thing you can do for them is walk with them through it. Like, what is sin? Or what is sin? Uh, I think you can, you can define it a lot of different ways, but I think sin um, is forgetting who God is. 
If you, if you profess his name and you say, he's my Lord and Savior, he is my God over everything, but then you would go and choose something else against him, right? You would, you would turn it and you would be committed to, or you would, you would look to something else and you would fall in love with that, and, and it would be in opposition to your commitment to God, right? They forgot how great God was, and they would turn to something else. Is it not loving to say, man, let me point you back to God, I think when someone would forget how great God is that they might turn to sin, I think it's the most loving thing that you can do to turn them back to pointing to God. And so, can I just, before we jump into, before we jump into all these different texts that say, you know, how to critique somebody, how to call out a Christian in sin, um, can I just start with, it needs to be in just the most utmost love for that person and care for that person a concern for their well-being, okay? Um, I think your greatest motive, your, your, the thing that just would propel you to just go talk to this person needs to be love and concern for them, and not this resentment, this hatred, um, this frustration. If that is your motive to go and call them out on their sin, you need to just stop and not do it. Check your own heart, see your own pride, um, thinking that you're better than them and you have the right to call them out. Um, check yourself and only come to them with a humble heart and do it in just a love. Man, I just want to, I just want you to get out of this sin, and that is my only motive for calling you out, is for your well-being, for your spiritual um, health. And so, um, that's just honestly just starting out this whole sermon. I just want to start with saying, when we critique somebody, it needs to be saturated in, it needs to be encapsulated by love for them. And so, in loving each other, we critique Okay, when we love somebody, we critique them. But in critiquing them, we love them. This whole idea of critiquing or calling out sin needs to go hand in hand with loving them. Loving them, okay? And so um, can we just start with that just foundationally? Um, our critique cannot be out of hate or frustration, but out of just love. Um, and so knowing that, knowing that, let's jump into how do we critique, how do we critique um, a Christian? If you're a Christian, how would I call out somebody's sin? And I think a good place to start is Matthew chapter 18. And so, um, Matthew chapter 18, starting verse 15, this is, if you want to turn there, you can, um, it's Jesus talking. And so Jesus says, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if you won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention to even the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. So just stop for a second. Pump the brakes before you're like, whoa, we're, we're telling the whole church here? We're going to get a megahorn? We're just going to scream it to the church? Just, just going to stop for a second. Um, and before we get to even talking about any of that, I think it's really important. We need to see that the number one thing that Jesus calls us to do the first thing in critiquing somebody in their sin is to do it privately. Before you, you bring anyone else into it, before you do anything drastically, um, he says just to walk into just a, a private relationship and say, look, this is what I see. I, I, I just want to lay this before you. I see this in your life, and I just want to call you on it in love. This is what I see as an issue for you. And that in itself is kind of uncomfortable, right? Like, I don't want to do that. 
Because most people, unless you're like some sadistic person that just like, oh, I can't wait till the next person I get to call out and sin. Um, that's weird, first of all. Um, but most of us, okay, if you're normal, can I say that? Um, if you're normal, then you're like, man, honestly, I really don't want to have to do this. Um, I don't like confrontation. Most people don't like confrontation. Um, I know my beautiful wife, uh, she is, it's actually hilarious for me. Um, whenever she feels like she has to confront somebody in something, she's like, man, do I have, do you feel like I have to do this? I'm like, yeah, you do. And she's like, do you really? I'm going to get a second opinion. It's like, what? I'm not giving you a diagnosis of like a doctor's opinion or something. So in high school, she, uh, in high school, she thought somebody had cut a piece of her hair. Like, she's like, this is really short. Why is this so much shorter than the rest of it? And all these people were saying like, oh, so-and-so cut your hair. And so she's like super mad. Um, but at the same time, she doesn't want to go and confront the person because that's awkward, right? Um, and, and so... She's just like angry with her friends, uh, but then confrontation nonetheless came about when this other girl found out that Sarah um, was talking with her friends like, I cannot believe that she cut my hair. And um, this other girl that was accused, okay, she, she um, allegedly had cut Sarah's hair, wasn't sure. Um, she comes up in the lunchroom and shoves her and like top of the, like really loud, everyone's now looking and she's like, I heard that you've been saying that I have been cutting your hair and she's like getting everyone's attention and I really don't have to really describe probably the mortified um, face that Sarah had. I'm sure that you can just imagine it. Um, petite Sarah, terrified in the lunchroom. Um, but because honestly, most of us just hate confrontation. Um, by the way, though, uh, to finish the story, totally worked out. The girl ended up being Sarah's um, maid of honor. And so they are like best friends now. And so uh, just so you know that. Uh, but at the time, Sarah was terrified she was about to get murdered. And so, um, I don't know. Did she end up cutting your hair? So that's what we're going to leave it with now. <laughs> so anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. We all are terrified of confrontation, but this calls us, Jesus himself calls us to confront them first and foremost in person, in private. And so what, how, do you, how do you critique somebody? How do you confront somebody? I would say, first of all, you walk into um, just a private conversation with him and you just talk to them face to face, not bringing all these other people into it, but you're just saying like, man, I just want to talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. Um, it's keeping secret. And hopefully it doesn't just start in a private conversation, but you can keep it just between you and them you, you might be mentoring them through it, walking with them through it. Um, this could take years, as long as they're agreeing, like, yeah, man, I'm in sin, um, I'm really struggling, you're right, I need to get um, free from this. As long as they're with you on this, you just keep it private, and you just keep it just one-on-one, -on -one. we're working with this together, and we're going to get through this. Um, it's not that you get to tell other people, like, make. I, I got to bring you in, man. You got to hear what I, I just, and it's like you almost want other people to know because it's like, it's your chance to tell somebody about this horrible thing that's going on in someone else's life. Um, you don't get to tell other people. You might have to, um, but it's never this opportunity to get all these other people involved in the sin of somebody. First and foremost, you keep it private and, and confidential and you walk with them through it because it's in love um, and not this ego boost for your confidence or this opportunity to bring all these other people and have like a party um, as we're just trying to, you know, bring somebody up because we just care about other people. It's this 
It's this burden you're to bear with them, that you love them, and you wouldn't want to tell other people unless you really had to. And so um, it says that as long as they, if, if they listen to you, you have one a brother. So you got to just keep walking with them through it. you got to keep walking along with them as long as they're like, yeah, you know what, I'm struggling, and I agree, I need to fix this. Then it's good. But if they don't listen, it says if, they, if he won't listen... Take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. And so, first of all, let me just establish that if it were to ever get to the point, um, if it were ever to get to the point where this person's um, sin, whatever it be, addiction or a one-time thing, whatever it is, um, if it were ever get to the point where it needs to get to a larger gathering of people to, to bear the burden with them, to walk with them through it, um, it would never be through the mouth of just a, a member, a congregant, a person that's just sitting. It would have to be through the leader of the church. Um, and so that would not ever be anything that you'd be like, I've got an announcement during like the third worship song, okay? Um, that's not at all what it would be. That would just be unbiblical. That would be um, the church needs to take it very seriously and the church leaders would need to be the ones to do anything like that. Um, but before we even get to that, I think we should just take, okay, um, just a very general application out of this that if one-on-one isn't working, one-on-one, they're not tracking with you, one-on-one, they're like, I'm not listening to you, I disagree that this is sin, at that point, then it takes other people, just generally, however many people, it doesn't matter whether it be the two or three or the church, um, more people that care about them, that are concerned about their well-being would be brought in with them, okay? Whenever, it's, whenever they're not listening, other people need to be there with them, whether they like it or not, whether they want it or not. Um, they need more people that can be there with them and walk with them through it. Uh, I actually know somebody that's doing this right now. Uh, I got a call yesterday from somebody that I know, and they were like, hey, so uh, do you got a minute? And I was like, yeah, I got a minute. What's up? And they said, okay, so I have a roommate. And they were like, so I, I've been talking to my roommate, and she sees no issue with sleeping with her boyfriend um, before marriage. And my roommate's like, I'm a Christian, but I don't see there's any issue with um, having sex before marriage. And so, uh, I mean, we're pretty much already committed to each other. It looks like we're going to be married. I feel like he's going to be my husband. Um, so we're pretty much married anyway. Um, and so she's just saying that's, that's not unbiblical to have sex before marriage. And so... This person that called me, they're like, what do I do? I mean, I was talking with them. We've been looking at scripture together, um, and we've just going back and forth, and they just won't listen to me. And so they did exactly what this scripture says. They said, well, you know what? Um, I actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call a pastor, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to a pastor about it and see if they could join into this conversation with us and, and give their input. And luckily, it's the, the, the roommate was like, yeah, that's fine. Um, they're totally fine with it. I think even if she's like, no, I don't want that, um, I feel like it would be your obligation to do it anyway. Um, and so I'll say that. I think that it's your obligation if they aren't, I mean, that's what the text says. That's what Jesus said, okay? Um, if they will not listen, then other people need to be bound together, people that love them and care about them, not somebody to be like, hi, I heard about what you did. Um, band together and help build them up. And so anyway, she was cool with it. And she said, yeah, you know, you can talk to them. And so I was able to, um, I'm going to be joining with just this conversation of just really helping out um, this person I know, witnessing to their roommate. And, um, but I think that's our obligation. I think that's our responsibility 
to do, but maybe you think, maybe at this point, okay, um, let me try to read some, somebody's mind in here. Maybe you're feeling like, okay, well, actually, it's not your place. It's not your right. Um, it's inappropriate to overstep your bounds and say, you know what, I'm telling other people your secret, your sin, and to bring them into it. Um, maybe, maybe you'd be like, look, that's not your place. That's not your right to do that. Um, you're just making it a gossip ring, um, or you're just shaming that person. You're just wanting to publicly shame them. Um, it's not your secret to tell, right? Um, and so the shaming thing, saying, well, you're publicly shaming them, you know, you're, you're gossiping or whatever, um, I would say Jesus himself knew about public shaming. He knew what it was like to have gossip and, and people turned against all these other people. Uh, if you look at John chapter 8, uh, most of you guys probably know that text where it's the adulterous woman, right? This woman caught in sin, and all these other people know, and now they're shaming her, and it's actually gotten so bad that they're so angry at her that they want to stone her to death, okay? So they all hate her, and so it's this public thing of just shame and hate. Um, Jesus' culture is all about shame and honor, right? Whenever you lose your honor, you are shamed and people hate you. And so Jesus knew, um, he witnessed, he was the one that stood up and said, you know what, who, who, who here is without sin? Why don't you cast the first stone? Um, right? That was, that was Jesus. And so he was willing to stand up for the person that was shamed. He hated the idea of somebody being shamed. And so Jesus knew about shame and culture. He hated people being shamed. And so, but yet he was still the one that said this, that, you know what, if they're not listening, you should bring other people in. And so if you'd be like, look, you're trying to shame them um, and you have no right, um, I would say, man, first of all, Jesus Christ himself knew about the whole shame issue, uh, but he still said this is so necessary to do for a Christian to bring them in. I think it is our um, right, our responsibility, our obligation, I guess. Less of a right, more of an obligation. And so why would he, why would he do that? Well, I think, one, he expects the church to be better than what you see in John chapter 8. I think uh, if, it were, if it were like, say, work or school, okay, school, um, somebody like just stands up on a, on a lunch table and just starts um, saying, well, you got this issue and everyone needs to know about it, that would be shaming, right? It's public shaming. But I think um, the church, Christians, should be called to be something totally different than any other organization, school, workplace, right? Christians, uh, the church should be, whenever you find out about someone's sin, it shouldn't be let everyone know to where we can rally together and say how horrible you are, but it should be rally together to build you up and love you and care about you, not shame you, but um, just lift you up, right? And so um, I think, one, Jesus said this because he expected more from us. And so actually, um, just as much as I think this is a commandment for people that are sinning, that you should get out of sin, that you should, you should quit sinning, I think it's also a commandment for us to be loving and gentle and compassionate to those people. But so jumping back to the text, if you do all, everything you can, you've done all that you can just to call them out yourself, you bring other people into it um, to be there with them, and they still won't listen. He says, they don't pay any attention to even the church, let them be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. And so what I would say, very honestly, very clearly, would be, I think if they won't listen to anything and they don't care at all, I think that you need to, at that point, assume that they need Jesus and they don't have him already. I think you need to assume that they are not a Christian. Um, if, if you look at scripture, um, scripture says that there are fruits of being a Christian, being a Christ follower. There's these things that, um, these results that would come about it. Isaiah um, 
says, and Isaiah, it says actually, and he, but, and Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Whenever you step into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are now convicted of who you are, and you see that what you do is wrong, and if you don't have that, you probably don't have a relationship with God. Actually, I can say that because it's biblical. If you don't have a conviction about the sin that you're living in, if, you don't ha- if you're perfectly content, you don't have any reservations to doing whatever you want, even though you know it's in opposition to God, I would say you need Jesus Christ. If you read uh, what John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, he says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be perfect. If you're a Christian, you're perfect. If you're not um, doing every single commandment perfectly, well, then you're not a Christian. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is if you're not striving to live for God, if you're not striving for holiness, I would genuinely call you to consider, do I have a legitimate relationship with God? And is he really living within me? Because there's these fruits, these realities, these results of being a Christian. And so if they don't want to listen, if they refuse to um, step away from their sin for the sake of God because they want to love God more than whatever it is that they're holding on to, they're clinging on to, then I would say you need to assume that don't have Christ and then just go back to what we talked about last week. Just preach Jesus Christ to them. Make them fall in love with the God that you love. And at that point, then you can look at and assess the life that they're living and the sin that they're struggling with, right? And so um, I would say that. But that is um, dealing with a non-Christian, someone that um, actually doesn't have God. But if they are still a Christian, they're still struggling, and they're, and they're really fighting. They're like, you know what? I want to be better, and they're listening to you, and they agree with you. I'm struggling, and I need to kill the sin in me, and I need you or I need other people with you to band together. If you're talking to a Christian, I would say, Two things, really, to sum up everything tonight is, one, persist. Persist, endure, continue on, and just pushing and pushing and pushing that they need to turn to Christ. It isn't just, a, oh, well, I tried. You have an obligation because you love them, because you are concerned about their well-being, because you care about their spiritual holiness, that you have an obligation to call out and say, man, I'm not going to give this up. I'm not going to stop. I need you to see that what you're doing is not in line with being a Christ follower. As long as they have the title Christian, you have an obligation to them. Just like in Galatians chapter 2, you have an obligation. As soon as you step into the family, I'm with them, of being a believer, alongside them, you have an obligation to them and to their holiness that you would walk alongside them until the very end and not ever stop. And so I would say persist, even if they don't listen to you, even if they don't want it, even if they don't want to hear anything you have to say. I mean, that's what Jesus was exactly addressing, right? But he kept saying, well, you know what? Go get more people. Well, go get more people. Well, then he was encouraging persisting and enduring through somebody that's really struggling with sin. I like what um, Richard Baxter has to say. He says, uh, when correction proves so ineffective that they are more offended by your correction than by their own sin, and they had rather that you stop correcting them than they stop sinning, I think that it's time to sharpen the remedy. Just because they're offended by you trying to help them and they'd be like, you know what? I'd rather you stop than me stop sinning. I'd rather you stop correcting me than me stop sinning. They're more offended that you're trying to help them constantly, constantly, constantly trying to help them and they're more offended by that than they're offended by their own sin. I would say you don't just quit. Say like, oh, I tried my best. 
I agree with Richard Baxter by saying that's when you just need to keep trying and fight more and push more. I need you to see that what you're doing is in opposition to your commitment to Christ. And as a brother or as a sister, I am called, I am, I, I, I am burdened to walk with you and turn you away from it. I think that's our obligation. But I would always say do it in love, never in hatred or um, malice, just as anger, whatever it might be. Um, because you know whenever I talked about Galatians chapter two, wrapping up here, but in Galatians chapter two, um, Paul confronted Peter, right? And it actually sounded pretty intense. He said in, in verse 11, and I rebuked him because he, was, uh, con- he stood condemned. Um, that same book, Galatians, that when Paul said that, and even in chapter three, verse one, uh, he says, uh, well, who has bewitched you? You guys are wicked. Um, so he is pretty harsh. He's calling out sin when he needs to. But in that same book, in chapter six, he said, so then as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. If they're your brother and sister in Christ, you have an obligation to not only correct them, but to do it in love, in love for them. Um, I also like what he said in Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 30. Chapter 4, verse 32. It said, be kind to one another. Talking about Christians, to other Christians. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Remember what he said to Peter? Forgive. Should it be seven times? No, seven times 70. Uh, Forgive one another as God and Christ forgave you. We should forgive one another and love them. Be kind-hearted. All of that should be wrapped up in how we correct people. I really believe it but we're called to correct them. And so um, if I were to say anything to the Christian here, if you say, yeah, I am a Christian, I would profess Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior, I would say, you know what? You have an obligation, you have a call to correct people, to have courage and to stand out and say, you know what? I'm scared, I don't like confrontation, but I care so much about you, I love you, I care about your spiritual well-being, I care about your relationship with Jesus Christ, that I would say, you know what? We need to sit down and talk. We need to have a private one-on-one. And if they still won't listen, you know, I love you so much that I would bring other people in that love you, that won't point fingers, that won't shame you, but it will love you. And you have an obligation to do that. I would say that to you if you're not a Christian, though. I would say, you know what? I, I would hope that you would see everything that I just talked about in our Christian community, that we love each other so much that we won't give up on each other, and that would make you want to be a part of this community that you would see the love that we have, the courage, the, the persistence we have, the concern for each other we have, and you'd be like, man, I want a family like that. I want to have a group of people that love me like that. But more than seeing us and our love for one another, I pray that you would see God and his love for us. It's really interesting. We were just reading, um, we were just reading Matthew chapter 18, right? Verse 15. Well, if you look back, Verse 14, literally the verse before what we were just talking about, where, God, where Jesus was saying, you know, persist, don't give up on each other. Don't you give up on each other. You keep fighting for each other. The verse before, it's the story of how God, if, if, if you grew up in church, you would know, I'm the lost lamb, right? The one, the shepherd would go after the one and leave the 99. That was literally the verse before, the, the story before, when Jesus is saying, don't give up on each other. You persist. You keep fighting for each other's holiness. You keep fighting that they might turn away from sin. You don't give up on each other. The verse before, he says, God will not give up on you. He sets the example of how persistent, how loving, how concerned we are for one another. God is the perfect example that he will not give up on his people. He will always persist that we might turn to him. And so if you're non-Christian, One, I would just pray you would see us and the community we have here of believers and you'd be like, man, I want a family like that. More than that, 
I pray that you would see our God and say, man, I want a God like that. That is the perfect example of never giving up on me, the perfect example of always loving me, the perfect example of all these things. And you might see that love and concern and turn to him because it would be the best decision you've ever made. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're not already a part of the ET family, we invite you to join us on Wednesday nights. For more information, visit etchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.